Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life, and this is part two of our backstage candid conversation with the legendary travel writer Paul Theroux. He's the author of 12 travel books and many fiction titles, including The Mosquito Coast. His latest book is On the Plain of Snakes, A Mexican Journey. If you haven't heard part one yet, start with that one. And if you have already heard part one, get ready to hear what Paul Theroux thinks about Instagram travel posts and the expat lifestyle. Here we go. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. So much of what's happening on social media and in travel blogging now is about people sipping the mojito. It is people taking pictures of their lunch, for instance. It is very much this picturesque, the sunset going down over the bay. What do you think about that? I think it's um, amusing and pointless. It's utterly pointless. One of the problems with social media is that people are, are simply showing off. Look what I just bought. Look what I just ate. Look where I am. Look at the sun. You know, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And most of social or a lot of social media is is look at me. And that's not travel. Travel is looking outward. It's not the meal you just ate. It's a person who hasn't got a meal that that you're talking to. Someone who's either very poor, having a hard time. It's the struggle of people. You don't matter. I think that social media tends to make people egotistical or egocentric anyway just me 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 now i suppose i sound like an old fogey but i'm not interested in what people are eating if they show me a picture of tacos I, I just roll my eyes and think or hit delete but i'm not on instagram though so uh, <laughs> and i'm not on social media in that way but it's pretty pointless it's pretty pointless and i i find it it doesn't add up to much but it's like the sort of thing that people have done for years which is they say, we've just gone to Florida. Would you like to see our holiday picture? Here's a holiday snapshots. Here, It's an album of our, here's Doris in her bikini. Here's Bob <laughs> playing with the kids at the beach. Yeah. Here's a, a whole tray of, uh, you know, hot dogs. Here's a Caesar salad. And here's a picture of my mother-in-law. And here's a, our umbrella. It, it's that. It's, it's um, you know, vacation pictures. Well, travel writing is a million miles away from that, I think. Yeah. But that said, you're not, it's not like you exclude yourself from the story, too. You're not being this objective person who's just writing about what you see. You are a part of the story. So how do you fold yourself in in a way that feels right versus kind of voyeuristic? I'm part of the story. I'm, I'm asking the questions. The, the book is seen through my eyes. I mean, that's a given. That's sure. That's a given. Of course. Yeah. I sometimes think someone once said, all art, all, all writing is autobiographical and anything that's not autobiographical is plagiarism Mm -hmm. so I tend to think that too which is if I'm not in the story if I'm not if I don't freely admit that this is my opinion this is me here saying that not objective I'm not an I'm not a scholar I'm I'm not an academic I'm not uh, saying I'm a completely objective person no I'm not I'm I'm an unbalanced older man who's having a miserable time some of the time, and that's what I'm writing about. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't claim to be a completely sane, objective observer. If I were, I'd be lying. I'm really not. What do you think of that, that reputation that people sometimes say that you're, you can be a miserable traveler? Yeah, people, uh, I'm accused of it. And I'm sure 
right here where I'm talking to you and you can see I'm a harmless hobbit-like person. <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not looking for trouble. Anyone, anyone who's an irascible traveler will have a problem. I am not an irascible traveler. I'm a patient, humorous, studious and humane, well-read, I believe, um, older person who's traveling. And in order to make friends on the road, in order not to be killed, knifed in a bar or insulted or hit by a, an angry man, I need to ingratiate myself and to be nice. And I think I'm a reasonably pleasant person. The reputation for irascibility comes from people who don't understand what irony is, because I write ironically at times. People find irony alarming and insulting. They also, many readers, not all, but many readers don't understand that I'm trying to get at the truth. If I see a, a place and I describe it, I'm not describing it to its detriment. I'm describing it as it is. Mm. And it may not be that beautiful. Describing cities, for example, I've, I've just, I've told you, I find cities nasty. New York, I find, is a nasty place. It's a nasty place. It does, the, the air is foul. The streets are crowded. The traffic everywhere. People live in high rises. I suppose there are houses somewhere. But my ideal is live in a house. No one does in New York. You live in a, in a vertical situation. So I find, you know, that's unpleasant. And I would, if I were writing about New York, which I haven't done really, I would write about it as I see it, as I see it, which is, mm -hmm. it's like a theme park for people who've forgotten what, what the pastoral looks like. And everything is shared. The sidewalk is shared. The air that you breathe is shared. You go to Central Park with your dog, as people do, and there's 100 or 500 other people, and they have a dog. And so you're sharing it. There's dogs everywhere, children everywhere, people on bikes everywhere. It's not like, you know, you can be in the bosom of the countryside alone on a bike or alone with your dog. That's great. But needing to share Central Park, which when you think about it, is not that big a place, is problematical. For me, for me. For, but for a city dweller, it's great. They're happy seeing other people, being with other people. They feel, I suppose, um, comforted by the sight of so many other people with dogs. Mm -hmm. And they even compliment it. I, I, you know, I see it. Hi, nice dog. Oh, yeah, I like your, what's your, what's his name? And you think, my God, what's this all about? You know? <laughs> Not for you. How, are they lonely? <laughs> <laughs> um, this might be a hard question to answer because you've been in so many places, but how do you regard people who are expats? Expats. Yeah. Expats come in all different shapes and forms. I mean, People expatriate themselves to another country because they love the country in many cases or because they're not happy in the country that they left. So people traditionally left England because it's it's rainy, it's cold. They went to warmer places. They go to Spain. They go to, well, the Indian Empire. I mean, they went to India to have servants. That's why they became. If you expatriate yourself, you can become a new person. You can be the person that you want to be. You can invent a past. You can invent a, a persona. You're there. You're, 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 you're the expatriate. You're the gringo. And people say, they ask you about yourself. You can, you can invent who you are. A lot of people leave countries that are class-ridden. England is an example, but France, Italy, Germany, other places where there are social classes. And they go to a place where social classes don't matter much. English people are very happy in the United States. 
Someone once said, actually it was E.B. White, said, nothing makes an English person happier than explaining America. <laughs> English people love coming to America and telling us what's wrong with us or what's right or whatever it is, just explaining. Look at television. Television is full of people, John Oliver, James Corden, numerous other people, Piers Morgan was one of them, pontificating about American politics. Now, uh, Trevor Noah is another one, though he comes from South Africa, but it's other people, <laughs> Australians too, um, kind of explaining us and making themselves very happy in the process. So that's a form <laughs> of expatriate too, an expatriate sure. who comes and takes charge. Some live humbly, some take charge. I'm very interested in exiles, expatriates, loners, people who find themselves in a completely alien setting. And many of the books that I've written are about people who have gone away and have expatriated themselves in one way or another, have gone to another country. The Mosquito Coast is about a man who leaves the States, mm -hmm. goes to Honduras, and he's there with his family trying to make something of himself. St. Jack is a book about a man in Singapore trying to survive against the odds. Both of those were made into movies. But The Lower River is about a man that went back to his Peace Corps situation. He's older. His, his marriage doesn't work out. He becomes an expatriate, or becomes an exile, really. Uh, he becomes sort of kidnapped by the people in his village in the Lower River. And there are many other examples that I could use of my work, mm -hmm. which is a person removing himself or herself putting themselves in a new situation and then having to cope with it. Because I think that's the human condition. We're on earth trying to make sense of where we are and get through life and be happy if we can, but especially survive, overcome the odds, prevail over the odds and meet someone. You think maybe he's the man who is meant for me. Maybe she's the woman who is meant for me. Maybe I'll find love. Maybe I'll find romance. Maybe I'll find fame and fortune. But I'm alone, naked and afraid in a world I never made. And that's the expatriate situation too. So this is a subject that fascinates me. I suppose it's my subject. Hmm. So for the most recent book, On the Plane of Snakes, A Mexican Journey, you spent two years exploring Mexico what does it feel like for you when a trip like that is over? I felt that this trip was never over. I thought um, that I went home to write the book, but I have many friends in Mexico. I've been back to Mexico three times since I finished the book. I love Mexican food. I love, The friendships I have in Mexico are great. There are lots of parts of Mexico that I'd like to see, many I'd like to revisit. So it's not over. It's not like going to Albania and coming home. You come home from Albania and think, well, I've done that. Guess I will have to go back there. <laughs> China, I think. I've done China. I think uh, the new China doesn't really get my pulse racing. I don't think I'm going to go back to China anytime soon. I, I like going to you know certain places. India, I suppose, I go back to. But So some trips are over and finished. And others, they're, they're not over. They're, they're, they're places that you discover that... I want to go back to it. And Mexico mm -hmm. is one of those places. And conveniently enough, Mexico is our neighbor. I only have to go to Arizona and walk through the fence, and I'm in Mexico. Hello, I'm Tiffany. And I'm Katie. Breaking into the show really quick so I can ask Katie a question. Yes? So as you know, Katie, we're challenging our listeners to help us reach a financial goal of $1,000 a month on Patreon. We are. 
And you know what, Tiffany? If everyone listening pitched in five, ten, even twenty dollars a month, we would make that gold in a heartbeat. So my question for you is, why do we need one thousand dollars a month? Well, six hundred to seven hundred dollars of that is covering our monthly costs. That's web hosting fees, taxes, advertising, equipment charges. You know the day-to-day expenses that keep a weekly show running. So what about the other three hundred? Well, I don't know if you've noticed. Tiffany, that we've been doing this show for over five years and haven't ever really been paid. Have you noticed? I have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm hoping that the person listening to my voice right now will love the show enough to wish that their hosts got paid for making it too. So $150 a piece seems like a modest start, don't you think? I think it would be great. It would. So if you love the show, please support it and all the hard work and effort that goes into making it. Netflix can survive without you. We can't. So visit patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast and become a donating member of our community. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the bittersweet life podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes. And now back to the show. Are you surprised? So you've been traveling for over 50 years, writing about it, traveling since the Peace Corps. Are you surprised by how much your perspective continues to shift through all these years? Or I should guess, ask you first, is your perspective still shifting on on who you are or, or what it means to travel this world? Yes, I suppose my perspective has shifted. For one thing, I'm older, and an old traveler takes fewer risks. So when I was young, Someone said, you up for this? Oh, yeah, I'd say, yeah, okay. You want to stay up all night and do and drink or, you know, go down dark alleys and, oh, yeah, I'm game for that. I tend to go to bed <laughs> rather than stay up and drink. So I, temperamentally, I'm different. I will say, though, that what I find dismaying is the world of, of very poor people who think they will never have anything. And that their only salvation is to leave, leave their country. Now, people have all through history, people have felt that to a certain extent. But there's more people on Earth. I mean, there's seven and a half billion people on Earth. That's quite a lot of people. And it's growing every year. So my perspective is I'm trying to avoid places where there are tons and tons of people. Finding privacy, finding solitude, just finding... um, Take the privacy, for example. I sometimes think that no one has it. You think you're alone and, and you've got a phone in your pocket and the phone rings and it's some stranger that got your your number. Who's that? That never happened. I traveled for nine years from 63 into the 70s and never had a phone. There was no internet. If I wrote a letter, I put a stamp on it. No one knew where I was. No one knew where I was. I was completely anonymous and away and... I didn't have a phone for nine years of that. Both my children were born. You know, I had to go down the street, knock on someone's door and say, um, can I use your phone? My wife, my wife's about to have a baby. So the lack of privacy, the lack of solitude, and the increase in the numbers of people, and particularly people who are living below the poverty line, is very dismaying for a traveler. If you travel a lot, you're traveling to places where there are lots of other people. Say you want to go to Bhutan. There are a lot of people traveling to Bhutan now, although Bhutan used to be a a place where very few people went. Bangkok, crowded with people. Vietnam used to be a war there. Now it's booming. It's booming. So 
I mean, that's true of most places. Mexico City is a city of 23 million people. That's a hell of a lot of people. It's a great city, but you won't be alone. Mm-hmm. Over the years, that's what I've noticed. The planet is shrinking, uh, growing in numbers, and there's fewer and fewer places where humans have not gone. There's no unreachable places, only the ones where there are war or famine or danger. Yeah. Have you found any way to replicate that quiet? I think, yes, uh, where I live. I live in a part of Hawaii where there are very few people, a remote part of Hawaii. I live in Cape Cod, Massachusetts the rest of the time. I live in, I won't say it's remote, but I don't have any near neighbors. Yeah, in both those situations. If I were really interested and I didn't have a lot of money, you know, I have enough to run two households, let's say. But but let's say I didn't have much money and I wanted... Someone's listening to this and said, well, it's Paul Theroux. He's loaded. He's cut people. He can travel all the time. So he can say that. I would say I would go to a remote part of New Hampshire or Maine. Maine. The middle of Maine, you can buy a house, very little money. Might be five acres, maybe more have a little farmhouse. The winter might be a little cold, but you will have solitude. You would have privacy. You could live your own life. You could be a Henry David Thoreau, you know, Walden Pond character, and you wouldn't need a lot of money to do it. Maine, New Hampshire, maybe Montana, maybe parts of the South. I was in Alabama, Mississippi, the rural parts of the South. You could buy a little house, very little money, and be on your own. So there's plenty of places, even if you don't have much, there are places that you could go, I'm thinking strictly of the United States, where you can manage. Arkansas, in the Ozarks, the land's not very expensive there. It's very beautiful in the Ozarks. So that's what I recommend to anyone listening to this podcast. They say, well, I, I, I want to get out. I want to live this simple life. There's plenty of places where you can do that and yeah. travel too. Paul Theroux, thank you for joining me today. It's so good to see you again. The new book is called On the Plain of Snakes, A Mexican Journey. And I know, actually, we do lots of book giveaways on this show, and we're going to be giving away two copies of your book. So if you follow us on social media at the Bittersweet Life podcast, Tiffany will be posting and telling you how you can win that. I don't actually know what she has planned, but do that. But thank you so much for coming in taking the time. Thank you, Katie. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and lots of fun. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes. Subscribe to the show. And pledge your support at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. And for goodness sake, interact with us on social media. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or send us an email at bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at M-A-I-L dot com. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, send us a letter there too. Our logo is by Jody Rick at the Lost Laboratory with help from our muse, Caravaggio. Talk to you next week. Bye.